0: Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that is perfect for your commute or when you prefer cricket chatter in your year when you're doing some work. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by my co-host, Himanish. Hey, guys. So Mayank and Nish will not be joining us today, but we do have a returning guest for the first time in the brief history of this podcast. James Marsh is back, and we'll be talking all things about the recently concluded test series between India and England all the talking points, controversies, and what this all means for the immediate future of both test sides. So stay tuned. But first, uh, I wanna talk with him Ish about uh, what's going on currently. So India and England have moved on from the test series and are playing uh, T20 internationals. Obviously things are a lot different because England are surprisingly, <laughs> or not surprisingly, much better in the limited overs than India is, I feel. Uh, so, T- two T20 internationals in. The series is tied, one all. Himanish, what are your thoughts on the series so far?
1: I mean, it's been a case of win-toss-win game up till now, right? But yeah. uh, the two games were slightly different in the sense that I thought the pitch for the first game was sort of hard to bat on. It was a little bouncy. And England bowled magnificently well. Like They bowled those hard lengths. I put out a tweet with the graphic uh, where their had Pacers uh, had bowled that hard length which was hard to hit and India just couldn't make enough runs and India I think three spinners and they just kept bowling in the slot and Indian were too comfortable um, today I thought um, India were really good with the bat because they kept talking about taking this new attacking approach and right. with Ishan Kishan and Sky in the batting order I think they're moving towards that optimal batting order and it really paid off today because um, Pant was also very free. He was trying to hit from ball one. Ishan Kishan was very good like he does for Mumbai. Uh, Kohli was a very nice anchor. So, right. the batting worked out perfectly for India today. I didn't watch the bowling innings too, uh, you know, carefully. But yeah, the batting was perfect for you. And I think they should stick with this template. It's bound to fail sometimes because it's a high-risk approach, but I think they should stick with this sort of batting.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's much to be said about England because for a while now, they've been consistently very good uh, in the white ball format. And, you know, their batting essentially has, is leading the way, you know, in the international field with their approach to just go hard ball one all the way to the end and they have you know like they're packed with batsmen and bowlers who can bat so that approach worked out well for them in the first game where honestly it was a below par total uh so it was not too much of a worry um i i I was more interested in seeing how india was going to do this series because one they're up against this really tough and high quality side uh, but there was a lot of talk pre-series about this intent and this new approach, which we've heard so many times, only for India not to actually do that on the field. And based on the first game, I was thinking, here we go again. All all the talk about new intent, new approach. But then we go there and we are like going at like run a ball uh, and then we post like a very you know, it was not even a challenging total. So I thought that's not going to be much different. Uh, so it was good to see Ishan Kishan back in, uh, or not back in the side, but included in the eleven. and then Rishabhan, you know, maintained, uh, they're continuing to give him this long rope, it feels like uh, in the top four. And you could see the approach and with a back and form Kohli, suddenly India's batting seems to be on par with England's batting uh, in T20s. So I think that's a good sign for India. Um, as far as the bowling is concerned, I think again we are not we are we don't have Bumrah yet, uh, but if Bumrah is back in the side um, and if Hardik Pandya continues to bowl like he did today, um, I think we would be a complete team. And I, I, I'm I'm starting to get excited about India's prospects for the World T20. But again, there's like you said, this strategy may not always pay off all the time, and they continue to back their approach um, and not panic and go back to their almost seems like a comfort level for them is to just kind of take the game slow and then accelerate in the second half uh, when it comes to batting. So overall I'm happy with India's approach Uh, still three games left and England are a very, very good T20 side. Uh, So I think we'll, we'll see, I I I think in the next three games, we'll see if India will stick to this approach or if they get rattled and then decide, well, Let's just stick with what we're comfortable with.
1: Kohli is a bit reactive, right? But I think now he's realized that they have the kind of players they need to sort of uh, do that, you know, bat hard. And I think they're trying to give it a long run. Uh, They tried it previously as well, but it sort of didn't come off, I think, in the previous series. I don't remember which one. Before COVID, I think. But uh, yeah, so I think they're trying to give it a long run. And I think Washington Sundar is part of that plan because he gives them that batting depth. Right. Uh, and with Shardul, they sort of bat till 10. So you have that buffer. So I think Jadeja's batting form has really elevated itself. And when he comes back, he would walk into the side. Obviously, Kori loves him. Uh, he feels very well. He bowls decently in D20. So yeah, with with, with Jadeja, Washington, and Shardul, I think they sort of have the capability to bat until 8 or 9. And that should give people like Kishan and Rahul and all a free reign at the top of the order with Kohli playing anchor. So I think it's a very exciting template.
0: I mean, suddenly India seems to be spoiled with too many batsmen to pick from. You know, people are talking about, you know, the likes of Shah, Prithvi Shah, Mayank, Agarwal, Shikhar Dhawan. They're all at the sidelines. And you're now trying to fit in Surya Kumar Yadav in. uh, And now there's talk of like, well, we probably need like a sixth bowling option just like as a backup. So suddenly we have a lot of players to pick from. I think... right. If there's one thing that Indian team management hasn't always been good with is selection of the playing 11. So that is going to be very critical in for India's chances in the upcoming T20s.
1: Yeah, I think Hardik is crucial to that plan because if we can bowl four overs decently, then right. that lends a lot of balance. And I think they're going in the right direction with the batting. Because England have shown the way in terms of how you should play T20 and India are trying to replicate that. And they finally have the right set of players for that. Now, they have to be a little bold and sort of think about keeping Rohit or Dhawan out of the 11, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on, uh, you know, because Kishan needs to be there at the top of the order. So that means either Rohit or Dhawan won't play or Rahul won't play. So they have to take that call. But yeah, they're finally moving in the right direction with the right set of players. So I'm hopeful about the World Cup.
0: Yeah, exciting times for, I mean, it's good to see. The India Test side has been consistently good for a while now. The limited overs, I feel, has been kind of back and forth. Sometimes they've been on top, and then kind of they struggle for a while. But based on the last few series, it's encouraging signs. And with a big season coming up, the uh, T20 World Cup, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that they, they made these changes where they brought in someone like Ishan Kishan and Surya Kumar Yadav. Um, so yeah, let's see where this goes now. Well, it's been just over a week since the test series between England and India ended in a convincing 3-1 victory for Virat Kohli and Men. Uh, Even in COVID-19 times, the cricket calendar moves so fast that we are already on to the T20 internationals between the two sides. Still, it's worth taking our time and gathering our thoughts on a very eventful series that sent India into the World Test Championship final and England back to the drawing board. Uh, to break it all down, The Last wicket welcomes a returning James Marsh aka At Pavilion Opinion, who no doubt will mount a spirited defense of England's performance. James, welcome back.
2: Yes, hello. You might find my defense about as spirited as England's against <laughs> Patel to be perfectly honest with you, but uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, how it goes. Well, the last time we had you on the show, which was also our first ever episode, Uh, We had a very in-depth conversation about England's prospects, given their win in Sri Lanka. So what do you make of the final scoreline?
2: Well, not much of a surprise, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it. But I mean, this is just, in very broad terms, this is what India do to sides at home. They swap them away and... uh, swat away groundsmen, if necessary, as well, and replace (laughs) them. Um, So, no, I I wasn't greatly surprised, to be honest, by the final result.
0: So, would you say you were surprised or shocked when England won the first test in a very convincing manner?
2: Um, Well, yes. I mean, just because for an away side to really win any test in India is a huge achievement. But I suppose just, well, I mean, I, I I was going to come to this a little bit later, but just after the huge... Mental and physical energy that was expended by India in winning in Australia. I I was still surprised England won, but you know they India were. You know it was perhaps a little bit anticlimactic having to turn up just to play England at home or the triumph of Australia. Right. But in general terms. Yes, I I was, but we'll come to that.
0: Okay, well, well, let's get to it then. Uh, Why don't you give us a quick recap of what happened in the first test and we'll go from there?
2: Okay, all right. Well, it it was played at the JPEG. So, um, and, you know, surprisingly for the home of the Super Kings and uh, in Trinivasan, there were some allegations of nepotism to start, concerning. (laughs) Surprising. Concerning, as I said, the, the groundsman, he was a guy who came in, he haven't prepared a first-class pitch before, but um, it was perhaps a little bit unfair that he was characterised in that way. He did have quite a sort of history behind him. But um, anyway, so, I mean, England uh, were able to put 500 on the board. Um, Jeru uh, doubled up, made 200, um, but that was the last time. 200 was mentioned in the context of England's batting because the entire side didn't manage to reach it for the rest of the series. Um, anyway, so India were always behind in the game then. Um, but um, So they made 337 in in the first innings. Second innings, there was a bit of a sign of things to come. Ashwin took a 5 foot, but then um, England were just too far ahead and with the help of some sort of typical nuclear bananas from uh, James Anderson, uh, they managed to polish India off for uh, a pretty comfortable win. So to, towards the end of the uh, India's second innings, um, Isham was batting and the bail mysteriously blew off his stunts behind him. And for some England fans, if I may, it was almost like the sort of ghost of Andy Flowers, rain had swooped down and done something because it was a very (laughs) sort of it was it was this sort of very sort of total grinding I think grinding was the word Coley used actually to describe England's performance but it was just this very sort of total not necessarily thrilling cricket but um, yeah just sort of overwhelming cricket they sometimes played under flower, so Yes, so so that's where we were. So, I mean, my first question to you both was going to be the point we touched on earlier. So, I mean, why do you think India were so flat, if you like, in this first game?
1: I think Shastri's talked about that. He did say that they were kind of, they were asleep and they needed to kick up their backside in classic Shastri fashion. So I think they were a little complacent and they didn't expect sort of England to put up a fight. The wicket was also kind of flat. And if I remember correctly, uh, Shahbaz Nadeem and Washington Sundar bowled without much control. So I think that's where India lost the game. I think conceding uh, what, like, 578 or whatever they made in the first innings was kind of where they lost the game. And there's no coming back after that because, uh, yeah, they, they could have batted a little better in their first innings, but, yeah, once you give out 578 on that sort of a pitch that was very flat, uh, yeah.
0: I've mentioned this before that One, England won the toss. I I wonder how different the story would have been if India had batted first and put up a large total. And then the pressure was on England to get close to it or to take the lead. And I feel that could have been, that could have completely changed the complexion of the game. And two, and I think this is not really talked about much. And I think it is important there were no crowds in that first game. They only started coming back from the second test onwards. In India, the crowd factor is huge right? For overseas teams who are not fully confident, who are a little intimidated when they come and especially the batsman, when you're on the field and you're facing a spinner and you're surrounded by all these clothes and fielders and you can hear the crowd essentially bang for your blood, mm. that, that, that has a tremendous effect on the psyche. And a lot of touring teams in the past have mentioned that. And I feel for England, they came on the high of the Sri Lanka series win they got to bat first, and Root led the way with the magnificent innings. And from there, they were essentially unstoppable. And to Him and this point, too, after for India, justifiably after the Australia series win, they came, there was still that hangover, and England capitalized on it. So and they didn't do too badly looking at the score. They still put up decent scores in both innings, but obviously the difference was the first innings for England, where Root's double ton, Stokes 85, that essentially, you know, sealed it in their favor. Um, And yeah, so that is why I think India were not up to it in the first game, but to credit to this team, especially under Shastri and Kohli, a very refreshing aspect is that they don't just linger on what went wrong and they always focus on getting back up, getting back into the fight. And we're seeing it right now in the T20 series, but especially in the test series, and they showed that in uh, in the previous series against Australia, there's a lot of fight in this team. Uh, So yeah, the first test was an aberration, but still full credit to England for the way they played.
2: Okay. Well, if I could just come on spin a bit then for my second point. So um, obviously, India had uh, Nadine who came in, I think uh, they'd seen England. Baruch struggling against Imboldenia in Sri Lanka against the left arm orthodox but um, obviously it wasn't a particularly glorious game for India's spinners but I know you guys did um, a show looking at um, England against spin so I just wondered if you wanted to sort of, if you noticed how England had played spin in that first game, any better than the rest of the series, or if it was just purely uh, a dull pitch and India maybe not having their, their frontline spinners in bar Ashwin.
1: So definitely a dull pitch, but if you look at uh, Shabazz Nadeem's numbers, he was accurate. So he mm. bowled 93% of his balls are a good length, but his average speed was 84.1, which is a couple of km per hour lower than the others so he was too slow through the air so if you look at the short signal played in the first test they were able to go down the pitch or back fast and that's why they could hit these bowlers uh, I think that's what the difference was so when Akshar came in after that he's bowled much quicker his average speed is 89.7 so mm-hmm. that's five higher so they couldn't do the same against him so I think that that was a big factor so Okay. All right. Benny, what did you think? I mean, what, what, what did <laughs> I, you make of India's
2: spinners in
0: the game? I was going to say, I'm not even going to attempt a technical explanation because <laughs> Hibanesha is the <laughs> <laughs> expert. Uh, I was just, a, you know, just casually observing the game, just watching it. The thing that I got was, and this is, England has done this in the past. They really love the sweep shot. You know, that's their response to you know, anything that spins, any, any ball that deviates in, in a slow manner. Um, yeah. But it worked for them. Root was especially good. Stokes was very good. Um, and the England batting as a whole, like they just projected more confidence, which is why the subsequent tests were, you know, it was surprising why England didn't capitalize on that. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was a lot more assured, a lot more confident. And I was not necessarily yeah. surprised with the way they batted, you know, England are a good test side, you know, despite, the, you know, some of the glaring weaknesses in their side, overall, they're still very good. And, you know, I was always expecting them to really compete and dominate certain passages of play. Uh, and Root, who doesn't really get talked off in the same league as, you know, like the Coley's and the Williamsons, the Smiths, he, he's really good. And, and we, we talked about this in a previous episode. He's He's probably the most consistent batsman in international cricket. Uh, so not at all surprised, um, and they capitalized on inexperienced spinners, you know, barring Ashwin. Uh, Nadeem and Sundar are not, you know, in the same league as Ashwin and Jadeja, so they capitalized pretty well, and yeah, it was a pretty good performance.
2: Okay, we just on to my third uh, point then, which is related. Uh, obviously, in this game, uh, Nadeem struggled a bit, and then uh, Kul Yadav when he came in, although... Perhaps he was a little bit under um, Also had a few struggles. So I know all the talk was about England's struggles against spin, but I wondered, I know this is perhaps a slightly ludicrous question, but, I mean, if you were in any way concerned about the spin ranks in India at the moment in terms of the next cabs off the ranks. you say spin wanks?
0: <laughs> spin ranks. Spin ranks. <laughs>
2: Oh my god, biggest stickers. <laughs> sorry, yes, apologies. That's my, I, I, I shouldn't be teaching children this, this, this film. Should I? I no, anyway, so, sorry, I meant, yeah. So, in terms of you, India having reserve, in terms of uh, if I could just raise the tone. Off the floor, Benny. Thank you. Um, in terms of um, just, just in, obviously, it seems silly to say it in a series when India were when England were completely destroyed by spin. But maybe India's um, sort of second-tier spinners could be a bit of a worry. I just wondered what you thought about that.
0: I was disappointed with. Nadeem, because he he had a very good debut, I remember, and there was a lot of chatter since then about how unlucky he is just because of India's spin quality in Ashwin and Jadeja, Kuldeep, you know, these three are considered like the frontline spin attack. Uh, Sundar sneaked in, you know, in Australia, but, you know, all credit to him, he capitalized on his chances. Obviously, his batting was more impressive than his bowling, but even then, with his bowling, even if he was not like a huge wicket taker along the line, along the lines of Ashwin, he still did it. He performed his role, uh, and he did a good job. Uh, but all things considered, when Nadim get his, uh, got his chance in the first, is ahead of Kuldeep Yadav, which was, you know, a surprising decision. I fully expected him to cause havoc, and I was disappointed. And I don't want to pin it all on the bowler because again, we are expecting bowlers who are, you know, who have such long gaps between games. You know, he played his quite a while back and then he came in, dropped into the first test and it's kind of unfair to expect him to just immediately get in there and pick wickets. I, I understand India has set a very high standard for spinners, especially at home, um, and I think it was a weight of expectation, which made it all the more concerning. I think if he got like four or five games at a stretch, you know, he would be more, I think he would make a better case for himself. This coincided with, you know, again, going back to Rude and Stokes, they were just simply on, you know, they, they were in good form. They negated him very well. And so yeah. I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Same thing with Sundar. He's He's very lucky to be playing Test cricket. First of all, uh, despite the fact that he is, you know, put up some good performances, uh, but he needs a lot of domestic cricket, like first-class cricket, uh, to become anywhere close to the finished product. So anything from him as a bowler is really a bonus at this point. So overall, not concerning. I thought, considering the opposition, considering the quality uh, of the of Joe Root and Men. And the situation which these two were dropped into, they did as well as they could, you know, with some few improvements that could have been done.
1: Okay,
2: okay. Yeah, just a
1: bit of luck going against India because that pitch was very flat when England were batting. Wow. And Nadim is like vastly experienced. He has like 400 first-class wickets. His average is a little high; it's 29. But yeah, just just a bit unlucky that he got caught on that pitch with Root and four. Uh, that being said, it is a bit of a concern that there's no one sort of lighting up the first class scene as a hmm. spinner in india after ashwin and Jadeja. now with akshar patel coming in maybe there's hope but he with with two two matches under his belt we don't have enough data to sort of say what he'll do so it's promising but there's no one sort of you know yeah ready to take okay. up the mantle after ashwin and Jadeja. yeah yeah okay. it is a bit of a concern
2: well, maybe they'll have to change all those rangy pitches back so they're more spin friendly again oh. isn't it this is the great the here, great come all the he
0: articles here come all <laughs> the articles now <laughs> well James what did you make of uh risha pun's assault on Jack leach that was a fascinating passage of play where Jack leach considered to be England's I mean I think he is England's number one spinner uh, over yeah. Don Bess. uh that seemed to take a toll on Leach in that moment. He came back well since then, yes, mm. but in that moment, it seemed to really dent his confidence. What did you make of, you know, Punt's uh, approach against Leach and how Leach came back?
2: Um, well, I mean, it's it's viscerally thrilling, isn't it? Really, I mean, that's the only real reaction you can have to pants knocks other yeah. than sort of just laughing like a maniac about them. But um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about how Leach reacted, because lots of people were saying like, oh, he's a strong guy, you know. I mean, I didn't know how much people know about him. He's, he's you know, had a few struggles in his life. He, he's got Crohn's disease, which, he, which he's talked about quite openly and things like that. And everyone was saying, oh, he's such a tough guy. It won't affect him. And then I heard him interviews, and he said, yeah, it was bloody awful that night, (laughs) alone in my hotel room, thinking about um, how Pant took me apart. But yeah, I mean, he he quietly, or I suppose not so quietly, just had a very decent series after that. And I suppose the way a lot of spinners are going to have to think about Pant is that, you know, you can almost compartmentalise it and the way that, possibly bowlers, had to do with Gilchrist in the past and,
0: you know, not take it personally,
2: I think, to some extent.
0: I, I mean, I I think it's a badge of honor for Pud uh, to pick you well, and target I, you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I literally, yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: Also, Joe Root uh, is now joined highest with Michael Vaughn uh, uh, for most test wins as skipper, 26. What do you make of that Joe Root in Michael Vaughn's company?
2: Um. Well, I'm not sure I'd ever want to be in uh, Michael Vaughan's company, so it's not something I don't particularly think about. But um, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to to say. I mean, I know Vaughan does get a lot of stick, but I think he was, you know, he was he was quietly behind the scenes. He was an excellent man manager, and it's just little things like after the drawn test in the 2005 ashes when the australians were celebrating on the balcony he just uh got the team around and said look this is one of the greatest teams of all time celebrating a draw and so he was i think he was he, as a man manager and motivator form was pretty good is is i I don't really fully understand joe Root to be honest i don't mean that like he's <laughs> complex or whatever i think he's just he's a product of a slightly different era when You know, players are a bit more savvy, maybe because of social media. So we perhaps haven't seen so much of his personality. But I mean, he's I mean, it's very rare, even now in the days of social media, when, you know, all sorts of things can leak out from, you know, dressing rooms. But it's hard to remember any occasion, I think, when a player has sort of bitched about. Uh, route. So I think from that point of view, he's he's, he's obviously a very popular captain. But again, I, just, I mean, in, term, in terms of strategy and that sort of thing, we'll have to, you know, to defer <laughs> to, to him initially, issue, I think.
0: But anyway. I just, he's just been unremarked, again, in, in a good way. He's been very unremarkable or it's kind He's of very f-
1: quiet and unassuming and he has yeah, like carved out a niche yeah. for himself, but he's just yeah. there. Like he's I can, just nice and he's exactly, there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I can't think of anything memorable like in his test captaincy. Like how did he sneak up to twenty six test wins? Like I don't I don't get it, but it's working for England, I think.
2: I, I think he cleverly chose to be born in the same era as Anderson and
0: Ward. <laughs> that is <true. laughs> which is That's which amazing. is which is which is unfair
2: to put put all his success down to that, but it hasn't hasn't hurt, obviously. Right.
0: All right, well, let's, let's move on to the second test. So India and England regrouped for the second bout on the same ground, except things turned out much differently this time. So first of all, crowds were allowed back in the stadium at reduced capacity. And then India won the toss and elected to bat. And from there on, there was only one side in control. So led by a brilliant 161 from a rejuvenated Rohit Sharma, India posted 329, which was followed by what can only be described as a meek performance from England as Ashwin took over. So Ashwin took a Pfeiffer, then came out to bat in India's second innings to score a century in front of an adoring home crowd to set England a target of 482. Joe Root and men were never really in the hunt as Ashwin and debutant Aksar Patel combined to pick eight wickets and seal a comfortable win by a margin of 317 runs. Uh, as far as talking points from this test are concerned... There are quite a few, but none as big or debatable as the pitch, which just continue to be a sore topic for the remainder of the series. James, as a longtime follower of England, you've probably seen quite a few subcontinental tours. What do you make of this debate that seems to pop up every time, it's particularly when they come to India and they struggle against spinners?
2: Well, it's slightly tedious, I suppose. I mean, I think... I think... I, I think the the pitch in the third test was rated as average by the ICC today. I think the results right, just yes. came in today. Um, the second test, I'm not sure what it got. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's probably I don't know if it's a British thing or just a human thing. I mean, it's it's just easier to blame right. conditions and other people than than yourself. But I mean, we. I mean, this isn't just specific to India. I was just. Thinking back to when um, we were blown away in in um, Bangladesh as well a few years ago. Mahedi Hassan, I think. In, in a session. debut. Or, yeah, exactly. So um, I can't remember what sort of pitch chat there was about it then. But um, no, I mean, I suppose the thing in this series was that people... It wasn't even really along national lines, the disagreements about the pitches. I mean, you even had Yuvraj Singh sort of making comments about the, <laughs> the pitch, and which was um, taken as a bit of an insult, I think, right. to, um, I can't remember the bowlers he named, Arch- I think,
0: Harbujan uh, perhaps, maybe. Arbogand and Kumbh- Kumbh, yeah,
2: yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, when the pitches in the second and third test were puffing up from. On day one. I suppose for an English person it's, you know, it's more terrifying than an awkward silence or something. But I mean, it's, I I don't know. I'd be very interested more to hear what you guys
0: think. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago and I, I maintained that you have to see how both teams perform on the same pitch. India did well at 329. Rohit Sharma scored 161 runs and I would think if it was such a vicious turner, I think both sides would have struggled. Um, So I don't think it's fair to put it all on the pitch. You have to respect the quality of the opposition, like from the England's perspective, I mean. Uh, You have to accept your limitations and say, and and to to England's credit, I don't think the players themselves made a big stink about it. I think Joe Root mentioned that we have to get better at you know, to playing playing in these conditions against these kinds of bowlers. Um, so yeah, recognizing your own limitations, accepting that you have work to do, um, and you your answer to everything cannot be just one shot. So I I I thought it was unfair, uh, but I, I know him and You shared some thoughts last time on it too.
1: I mean, I think they just got spooked out of hitting the sweep uh, because of that pitch, because there was dust coming off and the bounce was kind of uneven. And Akshar was bowling quick and fast and so on. And he had that bounce going on. And after that, they didn't have an answer to the spin. Like, they had only one answer and they couldn't use that. And they just got spooked out of their plan. Yeah. That pitch really led to this, you know, mental disintegration for them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say, I mean, I think it does also come back to what you were saying earlier about the whole atmosphere side of it, even without a crowding. I think um, you know, just this sort of event that Asian sides make of every delivery when there's a, a spinner on. Um I, I think it's it's impossible that it, it doesn't cloud the judgment of players when they're trying to to come up with you know decisions on the spot how to play these how to play spinners. And you know it was yeah I mean it was hard not to look at how England played some of the shots were played. Um, I can't remember if Bearstow's two ball duck when the first ball he was reprieved on DRS was that second test or if it was. I think it was maybe the third actually. I think it was the third. But teacher, even, anyway, yeah. the the point yeah, the point is it's yeah. For all the talk of the pitch and the ball, I think as Himansh says, there was a, there was a degree of just mental confusion and disintegration about it. So which, I think it can, can be best.
0: Presented. I think it can be best highlighted by the fact that. Debutant, Akshar Patel, over both innings, he's, he took seven wickets for 100 runs. He is not someone you would call a prodigious turner of the ball, right? I think uh, it was mentioned that quite a few of his wickets in the series were essentially straight ball. Uh, what did you make of his debut? What did you make of his bowling style and England's struggles against him?
2: Well, he was just incredibly impressive, incredibly accurate. So, I mean, I'm sure him can give can give us um, perhaps more technical analysis of him, but I mean, he, he was um, fairly metronomic and you know, he, he just, he was clever in that he just, you know, as you say, he was prepared to just get natural variation. But, um, and then, yeah, I mean, in England just, just panicked and he got into their heads. And I mean, I know everyone says you're getting out to the, uh, to the straight ball, but it, right. it was the ones that were turning off somewhere towards Sri Lanka that were planting the planting the doubts in their heads. But yeah, I mean, it's you, to to come in and be that sort of metronomic on your debut was incredibly impressive
0: from him. Especially to come in for Jadeja and, you know, make... It's very, very impressive to come in and not really make you miss Jadeja. Uh, I mean, obviously, Ravi, Ravi Jadeja brings batting, fielding, and bowling so he's the complete package but as a bowler to support Ashwin and then even like overshadow Ashwin to some extent at various stages i thought that was brilliant so himanesh what what did you make of his tactics against the batsmen i
1: think it's very simple he's he's very accurate and as I'm looking at the numbers, 23.5% of his balls were hitting the stumps, which is the highest for all the spinners. So yeah. you you just keep at the stumps. And they'll make a mistake or they'll miss one. And that's what his modus of brandy is, which is what Jadeja does as well. And that's what happened. In Chennai. if you see, he got four of his wickets with the balls turning out and three of them with the balls turning in or holding their line. So basically, it's just very difficult to play him you know, because he's so accurate. He just keep at you right there. Right. It's very simple, but it works, right?
0: Yeah, and in a way, it almost makes me think it's almost like a limited-over approach to it, like firing the ball in, but he adjusted very yeah. well to the long format.
2: Well, England faced a very limited number of overs <laughs> <laughs> because you, know, you have the series. That's absolutely true.
0: All right, so one-all heading into the third test. So, James, why don't you tell us what happened there? Okay, uh,
2: all right, well, this was... Uh, the day-night test, so England were rubbing their hands somewhat, um, thinking the ball was going to swing all over the place, so they packed their team with uh, seamers, um, but uh, it all turned out rather differently. They got rolled for 112-81. and 81. Uh, India didn't do that much better in their first innings. Um, Patil took 11 wickets in the, in the match, and... Um, it was the hundredth test for Ishant as well uh, for Ishant mm-hmm. Sharma, um, and uh, India had given um, Nathan Lyon a t-shirt for his hundredth test uh, in Australia, but England could really have given Ishant some slippers for his because seamers just ultimately were not really in the game right. at all, um, and again it led to all sorts of discussion about the pitch and so on and so forth, but. Um, so, I mean, my, my first question was, I mean, this was all very much obviously centred around England's strategy, but um, on that uh, wicket, um, it, it all finished in two days. So, do you guys think which international side would have counted um, Ashwin and Patel um, substantially better than England? I guess you could say any, but I mean, what I mean is, are, are we putting too much blame on England and just not? Focusing on the brilliance of Ashwin and Patel.
1: I mean, for the third test, yes, I don't think anyone could have countered them because sort of combined with the lacquer on the pink ball and the pitch, yeah. which was sort of hard without grass, it's sort of physically impossible for you to play. So it's it's hard for you to play no matter who you are. So it's just a combination of all those things which caught England and India was just the better side by a hair's breadth at that point. So yeah, so it's just hard to play on that kind of a pitch with that ball. Usually you see grass on the pitch with the pink ball, but that wasn't the case here. And this was a new thing for everyone to see. And yeah, it was just difficult. It was just, you know, scooting off the pitch without turning.
0: I think most teams have struggled, but probably not as badly as England did. (laughs) Again, without trying to sound demeaning to the English batsmen. But like you mentioned, right? I I saw the tweets from Jofra Archer. Um, I don't know if Broad tweeted something, but they were also excited prior to the test. You know, it was all... They all had it in their mind that this is gonna be like a very pacer-friendly wicket. And I think they just got caught flat-footed by spin. You know, they didn't expect spin to play such a huge ball in a, a huge role in a day-night test. And I think that just threw them completely off. I feel, I mean, if we are talking about other teams with, inter- not just in terms of skill, but in terms of fight, I think New Zealand would probably have done a decent job. I mean, again, we're, we're talking hypotheticals here. It's, it's mm. hard to say who would have done, but I would think a team like New Zealand, you know, they fight, you know, they don't just give up or give in too easily and they put everything else like all the pitch talk or, you know, the condition of the ball, anything, they just keep it aside and just focus on the game. So in that purely hypothetical scenario, I think uh, New Zealand would have done pretty well.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. Fine. Well, look. If I can just move the discussion away from England slightly, there were a couple <laughs> of, um, couple of slightly um, dubious uh, TV umpire decisions uh, in the match, yes. uh, where, where it was reprieved. I think for both for a stumping and also perhaps more controversially when there was a back pad, but the third umpire didn't seem to uh, bother to to watch all of the available replays. So. I I just wondered what you you two thought about the third umpiring in 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 the series and that match in particular. Um, Obviously, we haven't got neutral umpires at at the moment, but I mean, do you think there's any you know truck whatsoever in um, you know England's? At least we had some variation in our whinging
0: here, not just about the pitch (laughs) but about the third. Yes. Umpires. So I just wondered
2: if if England had any sort of case in their complaints.
0: I I know in this case I actually I understand England's frustration on it because I did watch that live and I was thinking that listen first of all why aren't neutral umpires there right if overseas players can come to India we can get overseas umpires to India as well. Jason Holder mentioned this uh, recently about n- neutral umpires, elite umpires. It's your, it's their job, and if we can make all the necessary arrangements for the health and safety of players and the support staff, you can do that for umpires, who are essentially who, what travel in like twos or threes um, and broadcasters. Because, yeah, so and right? So we make all these allowances for everyone else. Why cannot? Why can't we get umpires too? Right? Because this, this is what happens, right? Let, let, let's take the fact that umpires are human, they're bound to make mistakes, but the way it is structured in cricket is you only notice the umpires when they do a mistake. they probably on Wicked Keepers too, but especially umpires, that's when you notice them. And especially if they're home umpires, then guess what? That's when all the insinuations, the accusations start flying around and that is not something you want to do. And I don't know how or why, but it always seems to pop up the most in any game that involves England. Uh, But in in this case, I I remember how fast a decision was made and there was no proper explanation for for why. And I think it should just be a standard process, right? Which 99% of the time they follow it, but in this case, it just seemed too fast. They didn't even follow through on the entire delivery. So in this case, England had a very justified reason to be upset. Um, And I think it just goes back to, and we've talked about umpiring before, and we'll probably continue talking about it in the future too, but it is such a critical part of the game that if you're going to be making the effort to really make the game as watchable and non-controversial as possible, just focus your attention on, on the actual cricket, the umpiring is something that you cannot just you know, you cannot do short shrift for that. You have to get the best empires. You have to get that elite panel empires. Like, I don't understand why it's such a, a thing where they don't get the neutral empires. So justifiable okay. complaints. I think the umpiring empire quality could have been much better. Uh, But, you know, that in itself was not the cause of England's struggles. So let's make that clear.
2: Okay. All right. And well, it would be terrible news for Twitter if we all had to concentrate on the cricket. Yeah. But Twitter <laughs> is made for that, right? It.
0: Twitter, Twitter is perfect for that. That's where we yeah. come to rant yeah. against all the things, including yeah. the cricket.
2: Exactly. All right. Well, look, I I just altered my third point a little bit. I'm because I checked, it was the game when BST made his two ball duck. He he straight out and um, he did, I, I think he did actually try to sweep first ball and it hit him on his shoulder or something. He was reprieved. Uh, and then the second second ball, uh, Axa got him through the gate. So, just on the topic of Bersto, and maybe more broadly on the rotation thing that Benny, you and I spoke about. Um, so, I mean, I just wondered, <laughs> you you were quite disappointed that oh, Bersto didn't. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bringing <laughs> this up out of malice, but you you were quite dis- you you were surprised Bersto was being rotated as he was and. So yeah, I, I just wondered what you made of his performance, but more generally, how you think the rotation thing went for England?
0: Well, first of all, first, first, first of all I was part bemused and surprised because I really expected, that's the reason why I rate Bear's so highly. Um, I mean, when you see, again, let, let's make it clear, formats are different. The limited overs format, the long form, they're different, you know, they're different games altogether. But the way Barrister approaches spin uh, in T20s and in, in the one-day internationals, it always gives me, you know, it, it always surprised me why he doesn't have that same level of success in Test cricket. And, and that was, it was purely for that reason, I really expected him to do well um, against India, considering he's faced Indian spinners, you know, day in and out throughout the IPO. And it went beyond struggle because he didn't even last long to struggle. You know,
1: the sample size was too low to sort of do right. anything. It was, <laughs> Cause he just went off was, after like four balls.
0: Right. He didn't even stay long enough to classify he's in bad form or he's struggling. He was just in and out mm-hmm. in a flash. And that two ball mm-hmm. was like the most fascinating knock quote unquote, uh, because he <laughs> got out in both balls actually, didn't he? Like it felt like he got out of both balls or very close. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that, you know, he didn't play a much more, you know, uh, effective, he didn't have a bigger impact on the series or or for the time he was there. Uh, And going back to that rotation, this is my personal opinion, of course, but I think for all the valid reasons that Ed Smith has for the rotation, uh, keep in mind that other teams, especially like India, they're probably playing the same amount of cricket during these times uh, as and quite a few other teams now, including West Indies. But when it comes to rotation, I think there is a bit of uh, over-analysis or overthinking on England team management's part. Uh, rather than keeping it simple, you could, you could rest players in between mm. or during the series, like in between games. I don't understand the rationale between just entire series or like half of the series. I think it's very confusing. And I thought we saw that with Moyna Lee too, just like having... To you know that the whole confusion about whether he was going home on yeah. his own regard yeah. or it was a team management decision, I yeah. think it just opens up. So especially if England is not doing well, it just opens up a, a lot of questions about is this the right approach? Is this messing with team strategy? You know, if you're winning, it's different, but if you're losing, it just brings it into stark focus. And I know we talked about you know if this rotation thing, uh, what are the benefits of it? Now that we are on the other end, I don't really know if that was the best choice by England. If they came in with a mindset of, well, we're preparing, we want to keep our eye on the Ashes, we want to keep our eye on the T20 World Cup, in that regard, I think it was great. But if they came with the approach of winning the series in India, that was not the right approach. And I thought it backfired on them. Okay.
2: Well, Ed Smith... Um... He'll, he'll almost take that as a compliment, I should think, Benny, <laughs> overthinking. That's what's it. Him, wondered what What did you think about maybe the, the rotation in
1: principle? I when think much beyond what Benny said.
2: Yeah, you
1: know, OK. I think it was a little confusing why, why they arrested Anderson for the second test. But overall, I think they're just trying to prioritise the Ashes and the World Cup. And I don't know if it really factors in the performance overall because they would have lost anyway because they batted so poorly. Bowlers yeah. were so good from India, but it's just like a little confusing that they overthink it. Okay. All right.
2: So all right. can we please move on from the third test? <laughs> not, well, not that the fourth is much better, but...
0: <laughs> Well, there was one bright moment for uh, England in that test. Joe Root picked five wickets for eight oh, fronts. Course, yes. Yeah. That was, oh. <laughs> how did that make you feel, James?
2: um well it made me feel younger it made me feel like it was uh, whenever it was 2008 was it when Pop picked up his uh i can't remember yes,
0: when it was I, yeah. yeah we talked about that uh yeah, was this yeah six four nine and then in mumbai he picked of yeah. tickets yeah well no it was
2: it was wonderful but i mean in in a way we were praising his band management earlier but i mean how much poor don best have felt watching mm. this so it was actually very very vindictive of Joe Root to show up his uh, his uh, first his premium uh, off-spinner, but yeah, I, I mean it was well maybe a little bit indicative that the pitch was somewhat spicy. But uh, anyway, no, it was a bit of levity at least for England. Uh,
0: the one bright spot for England. Yeah. In in the two days, which I I, I want to maintain that I was very upset when the game ended in two days and I didn't get to watch three more days of test cricket that was frustrating I'm not a big fan of two-day Tests. I think
2: England (laughs) fans will on that particular occasion
1: anyway okay all right so yeah so the fourth test was a classical spin story that got over rather quickly for England they batted first they got out for 205 Uh, the spinners took eight wickets amongst themselves Uh, we shouldn't forget to mention Mohamed Siraj who got Root out who has a problem against that ball coming in uh, which i think was a key factor in uh, yeah the low score that england made and then india were in a spot of bother themselves at i think 156 for 6 and then there was a brilliant counter attack from the lower order uh, rishabh pant playing this brilliant innings of 101 i think he was 14 of 33 at one point and then he was 101 of 118 so he played this amazing innings washington saw so the bat, like a top order batsman made 96 not out uh, India got to 365 and then it was the classical story again where England just collapsed for 135. I think the talking point here, as I mentioned before, was that England didn't have an answer to spin and they tried to be a little too reckless against it, which is why they sort of got out. Uh, what do you think about that, James? Like their batting approach versus spin in this test match?
2: Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it was just, as we were saying earlier, it was just a legacy of what had gone before. So I, I, I think that... I mean, some were, it was the classic, I mean, if you've been watching England as long as I have, you you sort of recognise the signs of these classic collapses, and it's a mixture of sort of prodding and tentativeness from some players and just absolute recklessness from others, and not very much in between. So, yeah, it was, It's. It, 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 yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't anything particularly novel unfortunately when you've been watching England play uh, for so long I mean it is, a, it is a particular characteristic of our of our collapses that, that we do seem to have these extremes between prodding and being reckless so yeah but I think just after everything that had gone before it was just it was as much in the head by that point as in terms of their the actual uh, strategy on, on, on the park so I
0: was, I was going to say that The one thing uh, that nobody can fault England for is the entertainment they offer through their collapses because every team does that. Let's let's make it clear. England, sorry, India, Pakistan, West Indies, you know, quite a few teams they collapse, you know, frequently or, or now and then, but there is something about an English batting collapse that is part tragic, part comical. So credit where it is due. I think, uh, Englishmen, they go down, they make sure that we're entertained. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been watching cricket for over 20 years now. And mm-hmm. the English struggle against spin is as old as India's struggle against seam and mm-hmm. bounds. So I, I, I'm very curious to know what long term changes will be made in England uh, with regards to this. We talked about this last time about how Somerset, you know, they got docked points for preparing spin friendly pitches. But if that's the attitude, I don't see things changing in English cricket Uh, because India made some big changes, you know, after years and decades of struggling uh, on bouncy pitches or seeming pitches. They made some hard choices and we're seeing the fruits of it now. Um, And I think there's something similar in England that has to be done. especially for the young batsman. It's, it was hard to watch the likes of Ollie Pope struggle because he's such an exciting batsman. He, he looks like he's got some really good shots in his book. But to see him struggle against Ashwin, you just wanted him to do well. You wanted him to succeed. Dan Lawrence too. So I think they need to be given the support and the resources to really, you know, improve.
2: Yeah, I mean, just what, what you say on pitches is is interesting. I mean, I can't personally... See it changing much? I just don't think there's people with sort of with the sort of personality and power of people like Shastri and Kohli. I'm not saying they were the ones behind the change of the pitches in, in in the Ranji Trophy, but um, I think they're obviously a factor. And I can't really see anyone like that in England. To add. I mean, I don't know. I can't really comment on the like how powerful the individual associations are in. Mean, in India but I think the count um, you know they're, they're not going to be pushed in to changing their, their pitches. The other, the other thing is um we've obviously got the 100 coming in this year and that's going to take up the middle section of the summer when the pitches are uh well or at least should be taking the English weather into account you know at their driest. So it's going to be a big chunk when younger spinners aren't going to play so there's some talk of you know even if we're not having first class matches, we could at least have some sort of, I don't know, sort of youth tournament or seconds thing still going on. So right. you know younger, younger bowlers get a chance. But I, I just can't I just can't can't see it happening, to be perfectly honest with you, that we'll have this sort of sea change of attitude the way that India did to some extent with their. Pictures
1: that's not very optimistic. Yeah, this is my follow up question, which sort of Benny talked about perfectly. That is, there any sort of reaction back home that you know we've got to become better at playing spin, or is it just we don't care and we want to win the ashes? You know, it's <laughs> it's a question of culture, right? A change of culture that we want to play spin well, better when we go to Sri Lanka or India. Well, I think it is. I think what was noticeable about um this trip, I
2: mean, there was a lot of um Peterson and Pamasar did a lot of. Stuff. And from the bowling point of view, um, you know, it made you realise just how individual Panasar had to be in terms of setting up his own plans. He talked about, I think, the 2006 series when he made his debut, then when he got Sachin as his first wicket. But he was speaking about how he took in his fielding plans to Flintoff, who was captain at the time, to his hotel room. And Flintoff just he just sort of laughed at him and said, "What on earth is this?" <laughs> and um, I mean, he was he was actually very complimentary about Flintoff as a as a as a captain. But um, the other thing it was, if you listen to Peterson talking about um, his preparations for um, the two thousand and twelve series, it was. I mean, I know everyone makes a big deal about the um, a, a Dravid email that he got. That Peterson, when Peterson wrote to him. But um, it it was just remarkable. Then Peterson was talking about how he went away and he was basically training on his own, setting up his own drills on the basis of what Gravid had told him in an an email. And I I mean, I'm not privy to how England train and how they practice and how they practice for these particular challenges on Asian pitches, but I can't imagine that they. They, they prepare to this level of sort of nitty-gritty detail that Peterson did. So, right. uh, I don't know. Sorry, I, I was almost moving into rant mode there. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry.
1: But I wanted to ask you, James, as a non-Indian observer, right? What's your perception of Rishabh Pant? Is it like Adam flashbacks? What do you I'm, think of him? Because there's a lot of debate in India about him and everybody yeah. has an opinion.
2: Well, just wonderful. I mean, I just, you know, I I think I said to Benny when I last came on, um, I couldn't believe people were doubting him so much. Ben, this actually comes back to what you're saying about the ashes in Australia. In Britain, we see things through the prism of how people can do in Oz. And after his performance there two years ago, um, I thought it was incredible, but also incredible people were doubting him after that. So... I, did, I just think he's 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 wonderful. He's just he, I mean, even even today, he just came out. He was promoted, I think, up the up the order. I mean, I was looking forward to seeing uh, Sky batting. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you have to watch Pant instead, I suppose you take it. But I just think he's such good news. His whole attitude to the game, like, and I I think it was interesting in the Test series in that first Test. How calculating he was, because I think maybe some of his doubters uh, on the Indian side had to sort of say, "Well, look, this is actually a pretty calculating knock," and then the hundred as well—it was pretty calculating. So, um, yeah, I. I mean, I have England to win, but if we lose being battered by Pant is a pretty decent uh,
1: second Yeah, to it's be. a big compliment. Yeah. All right, so finally, like, Benny, uh, what do you think about Washington Sundar? Because he's played only 13, 14 first-class games, but he's batting like a number four or a number three, and he's opened for Tamil Nadu before, so he was just magnificent. What did you think of that?
0: Not at all surprised. I mean, Rishabh Pant and Washington Sundar used to open together, for uh india under Under 19s right so he's got a lot of similarities to ravi chandran ashwin in that regard both are primarily batsmen who worked on their bowling to become essentially spinners off spinners for their team who are also known for their batting and if you have seen the little bit of batting that he has done even in the ipl for that matter uh even if he's not played any big knocks yet, just the calmness, the assuredness with which he plays, he he bats uh, like a proper batsman. And so not at all surprised about his skills. What did surprise me, pleasant surprise, was especially in Australia when, you know, that final test, the way his partnership with Shardul Thakur in the first innings, and then in the second innings, uh, second innings at a very, you know, when the game was on a knife's edge, he hooked Pat Cummins for a six and... Right, right just to see him translate that to the highest level. And this is a pattern that I'm seeing with a lot of these younger Indian players. And I think there's been a lot of articles and a lot of people have talked about how the IPL has shortened that period of transition for these younger players, where they jump from domestic or from IPL to the international stage. They're a lot more assured. They're a lot more confident in their skills. And I think Washington Sundar is a great example of that. Uh, He's always been known for that calm and that poise and then but to see him transfer that very quickly to the international stage it was a pleasant surprise and then to show that it was not just a one-off like his batting in in uh in the english in the england series the 85 and then followed by the 96 97 Um, i i was i was pleasantly surprised very happy um that he was able to transform his you know or transfer his batting skills to the international stage I felt really bad for him, you know, obviously if you have 3 wickets in hand and you're on 96 you would expect you would score that century and then in the span of I don't know right. 4 or 5 deliveries you're walking back stranded on 96 all thanks to and he can't even blame Akshar Patel for that run out because he wanted to get that single so that so there could be on strike in the next over. Yeah. So it was a case of good intention but ultimately that's what kind of led to Sundar missing out against um, uh uh yeah. I I so from an edge of glory to heartbreak, uh, I felt very bad for Sundar, but very excited. I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get in the future If with the fully fit Ashwin, Jadeja. And I, I'm assuming Akshar Patel is going to be ahead of him now in terms of his mm. bowling. So I don't know how many more opportunities he'll get, uh, but he's, it's very exciting to see him deliver in the few opportunities that he's been getting. All
1: right. So yeah. James, uh, do you have something to add about that? No, not really. I, I'm just going
2: to say it was um, um, just in, in praise of Ravi Shastri, which I, I always like to do because I don't think he gets enough praise. Uh, I, he, he tweeted during the IPL about Sundar's spell. I think there was a 200 v 200 at Mumbai RCB, and Sundar got um, I can't remember. He it was, but it, I think it was almost single figures or something for his four-over spell. And I think one one thing Shastri does is sort of spot people that he, he thinks have got the metal to come into the side and Kohli too, to some extent. I, I know some people hate sort of speculating about this sort of wishy-washy sort of psychological side of things. But I think, yeah. you know, it, even... I, I think you could see there that Shastri didn't worry about chucking him in in Australia because he, had, he, he knew he had the, the mental... Strength to do it, not just from that uh, IPL game, of course, but anyway, I, it was just a good spot to have a player and so many Indian players come in
1: and be able to perform. So, anyway, right. All right, so we'll move on to where England go from here. But before that, like, what are the two or three positives England have from this series, James? If you could find any. You want three? <laughs> That's very harsh. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> you can give that, but yeah. yeah. I right. thought Jack Leach was quite good.
2: Yeah. Right? Well, I think Jack Le- Leach is, I mean, I think there's a, a slight danger in England. It's interesting with our left-arm spinners because we've got, I mean, we... We have them, sometimes they, they always have to be a bit of a character, like Panesar. Nasser Hussain said he always hated the sort of, uh, I don't know, the fanfare, if you like, around Panesar, because he said he thought it detracted from his his, his brilliance with the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think because of the problems England had against spin and because of the problems that Don Bess had uh, just at times just landing the ball, on the pitch, um, I, I think Jack Leach had a d- quietly pretty impressive series. So um, yeah, so definitely, he, I think you can take that as as a positive. Uh, also, I think as I mentioned earlier, Lawrence uh, in the final test it was quite interesting. In the third, in the day-night test, they didn't pick Lawrence, and he was actually the chief ball shiner. Uh, when he was playing so that I mean that obviously didn't help the attempts to seam it either Um but yeah I think I can't remember Benny I think we spoke about uh, Lawrence a little bit and we said he was a sort of English batsman with a with a hint of um, with a hint of the subcontinent to him because he is very very wristy and quite calm and uh, just tr- trying to play the ball as late as he can so Yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how Lawrence goes and then as you say Benny if players like Pope can pull themselves together a bit but I mean more generally this this will all be forgotten once if we win against you in the summer and then we're off to, to Oz so this will be quietly swept under the carpet I imagine in terms of the debate about spin and pitches and sorry it's <laughs> very somber so sorry, sorry Benny have you got anything <laughs> anything anything Benny. positive
0: that, that you, <laughs> Look, I think there were two positives I think Joe Root should be given a lot of credit for the way he led the team uh like I mentioned earlier I think it's time that he is mentioned in the same league as Coley uh Williamson Smith and Barbara Azum, for that matter um you know, we've talked earlier about his consistency and uh, he is, he's a very good batsman against both pace and spin and uh, it is time to, ma- he, he, yes, it was just the one big double hundred at the start of the series. And then he kind of tailed off, but overall his, uh, his batting approach and his leadership, I think is uh, one of the bright spots for England right now. And uh, so he, he led his team well, which leads me to the second positive you know, the whole series uh, at the end of the series, there was so much chatter from English journalists about the pitch and how it was, you know, how there was one journalist who said India should be docked the WTC points. And yeah. there was just a lot of controversy. And of course, Michael Vaughn had to chip in. Um, but you never heard those complaints from Joe Root and men or from the coaching staff. And they kept reiterating uh, in fact, I think it was, was it Jack Leach. They asked him before the fourth test about the pitch, and he said, "Yeah, the pitches have to improve in England." <laughs> and yeah, that guy. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, so that kind of attitude and that kind of approach, I thought at least augurs well. I know you said you're not very optimistic about England in the long run changing yeah. their, their approach, but I think at least the attitude of the players is good in that they recognize that regardless of what the media says, what the perception is, ultimately it goes back to skills and it's something that they need to work on. Yeah. And I think that's very good. That's a big positive for them.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Swan actually moved from quite a spinny pitch at Northampton, so Wantage Road, to Trent Bridge because he wanted to test himself more. Mm -hmm. So I I think it does show that there can be some emphasis on the individual and and I mean, I, I would like to see Swann uh, join the uh, army of backroom coaches that England have, um, not least because it would get him out of the commentary box. But I think <laughs> it is a waste. I think it is. When you've got someone like Bess that clearly does have talent and you've right. got someone like Swan just sitting on the sidelines, I, I do think it's a bit of a waste. So I hope they might look
0: at me. what What do you think are the chances in the ashes now? <laughs> That's important thing, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I I, don't, I mean I still
2: I, I I still think there is quite a, a few sort of exciting things about this England side. I mean, I mean Oli Pope. I, I, I mean I don't think you can write him write him off. I mean he's and Zach Crawley. I mean before India worked out that you just both <laughs> well, spin to him, not see him. He obviously looked wonderful with that half century
0: right he made
2: right. so um yeah root and then and then lawrence so i i honestly don't know i mean this this australian side is is perhaps breaking up a little but i i honestly don't know i think i i'm more i want to be sort of un-english and just really focus on on the summer because i think it is going to be fascinating what what happens to this group of players in the tests in the summer so okay
0: And uh, and Himanish, India are headed now to the World Test Championship Final uh, against Kane Williamson and company. What what do you think their chances are? Uh, We know now that they're going to be playing in Southampton. Uh, I heard someone say that it probably should be more spin friendly. I don't know how true that is. But what do you you make of the venue? What do you make of their chances against them?
1: Yeah, there are some numbers uh, for the spin, but I think they're a little misleading because I think... Moin Ali caught a chunk of those wickets against India and the tail and so on. But if the ball moves around, I'm not very confident about India doing well (laughs) uh, because they simply can't bat against swing. It's very hard for them. Uh, That being said, they do have a very, very good bowling attack. And in terms of the bowlers matching up, I think it's head-to-head. It's toe-to-toe. And um, the batting will have to pull their socks up and sort of build them out i'm not very confident because it's new zealand it's in england you have memories of five for three and then you have memories in new zealand then they can't bat well against the moving ball so i think it will be exciting to just watch this and see what happens it's a historically, new thing to game, right? historically historically
0: yeah. new zealand have always played the spoilsport sport for india's chances in big tournaments uh, as far as i can remember so yeah i don't it's not going to be uh, an easy game at all for india and i don't even know if we can you know label any particular team favorites at this point especially when neither of them are playing in their home countries i would think that the conditions would be more in favor of new zealand just because i feel overall their conditions are very similar you know in england and new zealand uh but yeah i, I think like I said it, it's it, it's very novel for us right now we don't have much history uh, you know historical precedence to fall back on so uh I would think at least it should be exciting, Uh, James. Can we count on your support for India?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll be supporting Test cricket in the final. (laughs) Um, No, I, I, I mean, I am looking forward to. I mean, I, I think I made a terrible joke about uh, on Twitter about how much like the World T Twenty because of COVID, the World Test Championship final will now have to be moved to. India for health reasons, but they might have got almost the next best thing because it is a bit more spin friendly at the Rose Bowl, as you say. But I I think I was just looking It's the 22nd of June, so um, sort of relatively early still in the summer. So you would expect it to be nipping about a bit. But I, I think I'm mainly just incredibly excited about watching Coley eyeball Wagner and vice versa. I think that will be a pretty pretty exciting thing to watch. So, yeah, it's yeah, there's a lot lot to look forward to there. I think.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to that contest as well. Uh, I I only worry for Neil Wagner's health sometimes with all his popping veins that he's training himself too much and potentially getting himself an aneurysm. Uh, yeah. But no, it should be a fascinating contest between India and uh, New Zealand in in the final. England, I think, will feel a little aggrieved that, you know, they couldn't make it uh, to the final at home. I think it would have been a a special uh, occasion for them, especially after the World Cup win last year. Uh, But again, for them, probably the bigger prize is the Ashes. So it looks like they'll be preparing for that while India and New Zealand square off. Uh, But James... Thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts on the recently concluded series between India and England. Uh, it was not as exciting as the series down under was. I think uh, everyone can admit that, uh, but it was. It still gave some good cricket. I think, especially for you know fans of spin, to see. Uh, Ashwin and Akshar Patel, and even Jack Leach. I think credit should be given to him. He did a pretty good job, and he had to bowl an Indian batsmen, uh, so mm. full credit to him. I thought it was uh, a fascinating and eventful series. Uh, so, thank you for taking the time to you know dissect the series with us.
2: No, my pleasure. No, no nice to nice to be here. Sorry, I'm glad I lasted substantially longer than in England. In England.
0: <laughs> you did, you did, <laughs> and you did. That's
2: uh, not a
1: very high bar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly no, I meant the true. team in <laughs>
2: uh, okay no thanks guys no it was, it was a pleasure as always to speak to you
0: well that's it for this episode of the last wicket thanks once again to James Marsh for coming back on our show you can find him on Twitter at at Pavilion Opinion and follow his writing at PavOps on Substack. We'll add the links to the show notes. Meanwhile, do subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and do spread the word about the show. For more details, please visit our website at TheLastWicket.com. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you come back for more. From all of us here at The Last Wicket, have a great week.